You're listening to a Planet Beyond Shortcast. I'm John Baston Pitts, and well, today we're talking to Denise Swanborn. Now, I met Denise about 10 months ago at a conference. We had a great conversation, but nobody else got to listen to that conversation. And here we are on International Women's Day. And Denise came to mind straight away. Denise, welcome to Planet Beyond Shortcast. Thank you so much, John, and it's it's great to be sharing some of my stories with you today. Well, you're very <laughs> welcome. Look, you really impressed me. No, no, that's not the right word. You really inspired me. You, your enthusiasm from our conversation nearly a year ago, uh, it, it's still with me, and I and I wanted our listeners to 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 hear you. So, what 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 are we going to talk about today? Um, I can tell you a little. I so I'm to start off. I'm a marine science by background. I recently finished my PhD research, and I'm now working as the expedition manager uh, for Necton. So today, I think I'd like to share a little bit about my journey into marine science, and specifically as a woman in marine science uh, on this International Women's Day. And to talk a bit about why it is so important that we have more women in this field, um, and especially venturing a bit deeper into the ocean. Wonderful. Well, Denise, you have the floor. Great. Um, so let me start off talking you through a bit of my journey into, into this field. So. I think as many of us going into the field of biology, um, I've had some experiences as a kid that really inspired me to, well, to, to really understand the world around me a bit better um, and, and just really fell in love with um, sort of what I see. I, as a kid, I grew up in many different parts of the world and, and spent a lot of time in West Africa specifically, um, in and around the ocean as well. I started my undergrad doing biology, which wasn't was a general degree not necessarily marine focus but then as i progressed uh, through my masters at the university of oxford and my phd afterwards i met a number of really interesting people it really inspired me to go go into this area a bit more so yeah so well now about four years ago i started i started a phd at, uh, degree at the university of oxford and really what interested me were some of these more unexplored areas of the world's ocean. And I mean, when I say more unexplored, like we already know that a really large part of the ocean we, we don't know much about, even though it covers three quarters of our planet and really is the largest habitat for marine life. But, but yeah. you've got to start yeah. somewhere. Yeah, you've you got to start somewhere, of course. Um, and, you know, I, I had this amazing opportunity to work um, work with an organization that focuses on some of the parts of the ocean that are a bit harder to reach, the parts beyond the normal scuba depth, so beyond 30 meters of depth. So my research really started focusing about around sort of what is it that, uh, that drives the occurrence and distribution of species and habitats uh, beyond beyond that 30 meters of depth. Um, like how can we come up with proxies to predict where we might find important habitats and in turn like inform sort of how we might be best able to protect them. Um, well, why do we deal with proxies? 
Um, pro well, the reason why we have to work with proxies is that it's it's simply really difficult to go down everywhere in the ocean and and record what is there. Um, if you think about it, it's it's such a massive space, and certainly if you're thinking about these deeper environments that you have to survey with, you know, ROVs, submersibles, you simply cannot send a submersible down anywhere to to log what is there. Um, but fortunately. With environmental data, we can come a long way in terms of modeling uh, where we where we might find these uh, these biological hotspots. So my research focused on mesophotic reefs, which are reefs that are that are found between sort of thirty and and one hundred and fifty meters of depth, um, as well as sea mounts, um, which are some of the most sort of widespread sea, uh, features on the seafloor. Starting off with these mesophotic reefs. They are called mesophotic. Meso is a middle photic is, well, refers to light because it's sort of the, the, the depth zone of the ocean where you still get some light, but it is very much on the way of becoming completely dark. So these reefs that grow there um, have developed a lot of interesting adaptations to deal with these lower light conditions. So, so for example, you see reefs, uh, you see coral species that are a lot flatter to be sort of maximize their surface area and to be able to, to catch as much light as they can. Um, but also a lot of sort of different species compared to, compared to shallower reefs. Um, and these mesophotic reefs are actually really important for a number of, of reasons. Um, they are like nursery grounds for a lot of fish species um, and something that we hear more and more about is this it's called the refugia hypothesis which is that idea that these reefs might be able to act as a shelter for um for for sort of species fish species under threat from overfishing but we're also more and more exploring the idea that you know these reefs are connected to the shallower reefs that are under threat from climate change so these deeper reefs actually provides an important sort of reseeding ground for these shallower reefs that um, that might might be under stress. But yeah, my research specifically looked at the relationship between the structure of the seabeds um, and um, where we might find these these deeper reefs because we know that some areas of the seafloor are more suitable for these reefs to settle and grow and thrive on than, than other areas of the seafloor. And I also then looked at fish species and how they relate to where we might find these reefs and in turn the, the structure of the seabed. Um, I mean, the, I've read somewhere that, that they, uh, I can't remember the numbers, but I mean, I thought they, they expect that we actually understand very little even now about the, the, the quantity of species. Were you discovering new stuff? Yeah, I think... It it is a it's a bit of a part of doing doing anything in in ocean areas that are slightly deeper. Um, it's it's mm. a bit, you know, the sampling effort is quite unevenly distributed around the ocean. So it is like chances are that if you're going in unexplored areas, that you will come back with with new species. Um, and we are still doing a lot of the taxonomic work on the expeditions we have been on, um, and you know. To call something a new species, there's of course a lot of work that goes into identifying and the sequencing and etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is true. Um, we we are coming back with new species all the time if we if we go out in expeditions in these new spaces. 
You mentioned earlier all the good reasons why this research is essential. The diversity, the connection between the, the, the species are it, it, shallower. But of course, there is also um, a very selfish, from a human perspective, driver here, which is all that diversity um, is a, a goldmine, is it not, for the pharmaceutical industry, etc. There, are there people looking over your shoulder at what you do? Uh, personally, I've not really interacted um, with 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 that that kind of focus on discovering new ocean life. But you are right; like we are discovering more and more sort of compounds in some of this weird and wonderful deep sea life that we don't really know yet what we what we might be able to do with them or we might be able to use them for. I mean, what we do know is sort of that the ocean and all of the life in it is so important for humans in, in many other ways. I mean, like we know that, well, first of all, it's the largest habitat of life. It's got a huge role in regulating our, our climate system. It's got so many other, other functions. Um, I mean, even when you think about subsistence, like a lot of people globally are dependent on, on the ocean for, for their daily, daily foods. Um, so there, there's really a myriad of reasons why the ocean is important. Like, and yeah, potential for pharmaceutical uh, products is, is also one of them. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little about your seamounts, the other part of your PhD. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, so seamounts um, are some of the most sort of widespread features on the ocean floor. Uh, and really, you can think of them as, as undersea mountains. So they are, yeah, essentially like a mountain coming up from the seabed, um, that's multiple, multiple kilometers high. Um, actually, the, the largest sea mount is larger than Mount Everest is to give you, give you a bit of perspective. And these sea mounts, they are incredibly important for marine life. When you think about the ocean floor, it can be a bit of a, a vast sort of homogenous environment. And these sea mounts are essentially sort of, yeah, different, different areas in there. And they provide lots of hard structures for corals and other, other benthos, so the things that live on the seabed to, to attach themselves to and grow on. They also interact with sort of the, the currents and the ocean circulation patterns around them, sometimes trapping nutrients that then provide important feeding grounds for fish. Um, so they, they are massively important from a biodiversity perspective. Now, because they are so important for biodiversity and attracting fish life, it means that, of course, they have also become really important fishing grounds. Um, and we know that some of the, yes, some of the sea mounts in the world are, are very much overfished. And a lot of these sea mounts are also outside of national territories, which makes it a bit more, um, yeah, difficult to protect. So it's, it's a bit of a bit of a trade-off on those sea mounts. Like, like we know they're really important, but there's also the danger that we, we will start sort of over-exploiting the importance of these, of these features. So my research around those sea mounts really focused on what aspects of these sea mounts really are important for the biodiversity that we find on them. So what, what kind of morphology, like, is associated with higher higher numbers of, of commercially important fish species. Um, and in turn, are there specific features on sea, on sea mounts themselves or 
the whole seamount that are in need for, for sort of special protection based on their importance for biodiversity. Wonderful. Now, I'm guessing, but possibly not too wildly, that your research, this opportunity to do a PhD on this subject, took you to some amazing places and gave you some amazing experiences. Can you share some of that with us? Oh, absolutely. And yes, you are right. I have been very lucky to be to be able to go out on, on some of these expeditions myself and to, yeah, get up close and personal with, with some of these systems. So I conducted my PhD in collaboration with an organization called Necton, which um, essentially um, runs expeditions in different parts of the Indian Ocean, co-produced with uh, host nations. So for my PhD specifically, I was working with data that was collected uh, around Seychelles, um, which meant that in 2019, I was also on an expedition myself for six weeks, surveying some of the most remote parts um, of the archipelago. I've also been lucky enough to go on an expedition to Maldives recently, um, and though not part of my PhD anymore, I was also on an expedition to the Chagos Archipelago, which um, are all some of the really, really remote parts of the Indian Ocean. <laughs> just before you dive into some detail there about what you got up to, I just want to just want to feel for our listener here because they're probably thinking goodness me some people have to make amazing sacrifices for science so we're all thinking about you uh, and and the and the sacrifices you've had to make please carry on <laughs> <laughs> oh i know what you mean and i always try and say like oh, we're there for work and we make really long days but yes no it is <laughs> it is above all an, an incredible experience and really a bit of a privilege to be to be able to go to these parts of the world and i think on these expeditions what we try and do is of course first of all document biodiversity we find there but also make a picture of sort of the environmental conditions around the sites we survey so the first thing we always do when we get to a location is that we turn the sonar system on the vessel on and try to create a picture of uh, the seabed topography below us which is of course really important um, because we need to know where we can put our submersibles and our remotely operated vehicles in the water safely. So I was always heavily involved with the seabed mapping aspect because that was data that was also feed into my PhD. Um, now when we do, when we've done that, um, one thing we try and do is um, collect video transacts close to the seabed and also forward facing. So we've got a number of different cool toys to do that. Uh, one of which are the submersibles. Um, so there would be typically a scientist and a pilot um, or two scientists, depending on the submersible that would go down um, to specific depths um, and then essentially sit in the submersible and drive 250 meter transects along the depth contours. Wow. Is yeah. this one of those submersibles, you know, in a great big bubble? Yes. Big... Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is beautiful. Um, and they are particularly suited for sort of these mesophotic depths. Um, mm. Yeah. I remember when we spoke last year, you, you said something about 
a reversed goldfish bowl or something. Yeah, that is exactly right. Was that you? Right. That T- is, tell yeah, me that, more. I yeah. Think that, yeah, and I think when you sit in there, you do really feel you're, like you're in a bit of a reverse fishbowl. Like you are sort of, yeah, the fish are looking at you uh, and you are looking out um, and you are sort of in this environment that is much larger than than, than you are essentially. Mm. There's, and yeah, mm. like from your confined space, you are able to experience that. Um, but you really feel like you're in a, yeah, in, in a world that is much larger than yourself are. Yes. Yeah. And I bet your heart is racing, isn't it? Whether it's, well, fear or excitement, but it's the adrenaline level must be high at this point. I mean, I think I was mostly mesmerized. I think I was too, too focused on what was going on to even, even feel like scared or like about the fact that there's, I don't know how many meters of water is above you. Um, but no, it is it is spectacular, and it's a it's a really really unique experience. And I think certainly for some of those creatures that are that are used used to live in the dark, um, you know, when we switch on the lights, some of them are really confused. It's <laughs> sometimes you think this might be the first light that this creature may have experienced. Like it's it's uh, yeah, you really do feel like you're an alien coming from a different world. <laughs> You you said earlier that um, obviously identifying a new species takes a disciplined approach and you have to bring them back, etc., etc. But were there, were there ever moments where everybody in the bubble, in the goal, in the the fishbowl, pointed at something, and said, "What's that?" Oh, absolutely. And I think you know, like I I recently had one of those experiences myself, which was on a dive to to five hundred meters. Well, we saw something and it just, I mean, it, it, it was kind of like a gelatinous blob. And it's, you know, you don't even know what major taxonomic group it belongs to. It's, it's this, um, yeah. So, you know, we, when we do these kind of expeditions, we typically are also allowed to sample uh, a number of organisms from different taxonomic groups and from different depths. Um, so the submersibles have what's called a, a manipulator arm on them, which is essentially a big robot arm to pick up these things. Um, and we put them in in what's called a bio box that is attached to the submersible, which is kind of like a shopping basket for deep sea life. So you've got your big <laughs> robotic arm, pick something up, put it in your basket and bring it back up. Um, and sort of to see the submersible come back up with a sort of full bio box is one of the most exciting moments because you know you're going to see a lot of these like mm. weird and wonderful creatures, some of which you know what what kind of know what they are, but some of which sure. are just completely unlike anything you've seen before. Yeah. There must be areas of other people's work which is just like that, but what a lovely picture. Yeah, yeah. You know, going shopping and then super excited to get to the cash till where you can actually or get home where you can actually look in detail at what you've uh, what you've got uh, in your basket how wonderful how wonderful well when we last spoke another thing that you said to me was that you were very very excited about the place that you were currently at but you were coming to the end of your phd and of course i was asking you i suspect all about what does the future look like for you what were you going to do and 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 I think the answer was, well, I have a, a few options, but I'm not quite sure yet. So, well, what did you do? Um, yeah, what did I do? Um, 
you're right. I was when we when we last spoke. I was definitely in a place where I was sort of exploring my options and orienting myself on what I could do. And um, I actually, I, I I think I remember saying to you, like I do want to stay in this world. I want to stay in this industry, which is still true. And I, funnily enough, ended up staying quite close to home. Um, I I joined Nexon, so the organization that I did my PhD with. Um, as an expedition manager um, quite well earlier this year and that essentially means that I'm yeah, now responsible for the development and the implementation of uh, some of these research expeditions I've, I've just been talking about um, which is incredibly exciting it's um, yeah it's, it, it, it's, it's a, it does take you to a lot of really interesting places and and for me personally it's been great to see how much is involved with planning these kind of things and setting mm. them up and making sure we engage with the right people, making sure the whole team is prepared, making sure we've got everything we need on the vessel because you are in some remote places. and it's, uh, it's Well, you've just got to get it right first time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, with your experience at both ends of the spectrum, both technically, but also in terms of the value of what you're doing and the consequences and the impacts and everything, um, really, really um, sets you up well for, for that role. Wow. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I do really like combining sort of my scientific background with the more kind of operational and, and sort of the implementation uh, kind of aspects of expeditions like this and sort of. So tell us, Denise, what what will your role for Nectar actually mean to the world? What contribution will it make? So we're really what we're really trying to do is to get information on some of these like really remote areas of the world and and what lives in there. And the way we try to do that is to work with host nations to really find out what their science needs are and then co-produce an expedition around that to make sure that we do the right science to 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 inform management plans really to better better know what is there and how to protect it so this is a bit of a circle if you don't know what is there you cannot protect it well good look here we are again on International Women's Day, and I'm I'm so chuffed that we got the opportunity to to talk again and to to hear where you've gone with your career after um, doing this particular very exciting PhD. But more more than that, really, from a personal perspective, I just love talking to enthusiastic people, people who love their subject and apply it. So thank you so much, Denise, for for sharing your stories with us today. Thank you. Thank you, John, for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So as we always say, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference. <laughs>